let's get into, let's get into Mark 4. Mark 4. Uh, if you're brand new, we're going verse by verse. Apparently, this is going to be the only TV today, so just zero. I'll, I'll kind of teach over here, and I'll, I'll look at that side of the room. Uh, but Mark 4 is where we're at, and, and we're going verse by verse to the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be here for basically the entire year. So if you come in here and you're like, what do I do after the bagel parade? You know, like, what do I do after I drop off my kids? What do I sit down and do? What you sit down and do is go to the second book of the New Testament, Mark. I promise we'll be there until, like, Jesus comes back. So just, just trust me, okay? Here's Mark 4.1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea, on the land. We don't have, we don't, I'm sorry, t- Tony, follow me here, bro. Sorry about that. Again, he, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Again, Jesus is Beatles famous at this point. He's Beatles famous. He can't sit where he wants to sit, eat where he wants to eat. He can't travel where he wants to travel. And so what he does is he picks a spot with good acoustics, and he gets into a boat. I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but he found places with good acoustics. They did not have these things called amplifiers. Uh, they did not have these things called bass. Uh, so, so he would find a place with good acoustics, and there happens to be a place uh, in between Tabga and another place called Capernaum, which, which serves as an inlet, right, a sloping inlet where Jesus could talk, and, and even a, 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 a faraway place could, could be able to hear what Jesus is saying, and that's kind of been your nerdy nugget with Justin moment, okay? Not to be confused with nerdy nuggets with Pastor Pedro, mine are better, all right? Very large crowd, verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, let's read that again, he was teaching them many things in parables. Can you say parables? One, two, three, parables. Teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, pause, okay, pause, Uh, We're not actually going to go into the parable today. I know this is very evil of me to present an idea. Um, You're you're like, how do you do this? But we're actually going to pause the movie here and then visit the movie next week. So if you want to know what the parable says, and if you want to know what the explanation of the parable says, you're going to have to come back next week, okay? For now, I'm going to give you a little little snippet of, of what that parable says because you need a preview. Jesus is going to talk about a farmer, very plain terms. There's a farmer and some seeds. And the seeds fall along this ground, and seeds fall along this ground. Some of the seeds grow up and they're healthy and they produce fruit. Some of the seeds aren't healthy and they get choked out by some things. He says this kind of innocuous story about a farmer and some seeds. And, and then he says, he says this, he who has ears, let him hear. So he presents this innocuous idea Farmer seeds, some are good, some are not. He who has ears, let him hear. So I, I want to picture this. I come up here on a Sunday, and I stand up in front of you. I'm like, there's a car. Car has good parts. Car has bad parts. There's some loud parts, and there's some quiet parts. He who has ears, let him hear. And then I drop the mic, and I walk off. Okay? You'd be like, I'm not tithing anymore. This is the worst church yet, right? You'd, just be, you'd be lost. Why is Jesus doing this? And this is what he does. For the most part, he's going to teach almost exclusively in parables for the, for the rest of the gospel. And he, just, he just drops this parable bomb, and then he leaves. And, and, and really, you know, verse 2, very large, uh, or verse, uh, this is actually the, the, uh, verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. It, it, it's him saying, like, 
if you don't have ears to understand what I'm doing, your heart is not connected to me. So, so the people are a little bit lost. His disciples are going, what do I, what do, I do from here? What do, I, what do I say to the people? If they're asking the disciples for explanation, how do I explain it to them? This is verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Now, there's a sister passage, and a sister passage means it's, it's a different gospel, same story, different perspective. It's a little bit more robust, has more details. They put it this way, and, and that, that, these disciples put it this way in that, in that passage. Why do you speak to them in parables? Good question. You ever ask that? Why does Jesus speak to us in parables? I mean, he, he has the ears of the entire nation here. Anybody who is willing to travel, they're traveling so well that he can't even, he can't even teach where he wants to teach. He's got to get on a boat. He has them listening, and he speaks to them in parables. So they go, why do you speak to them in parables? And this is kind of the campground that we're going to pitch our tent on today. Why do you speak to them in parables? Again, almost exclusively, he's going to teach like this. Uh, he's going to drop a parable bomb and then get on a boat. He's going to drop another parable bomb and then slip out of the crowd. He's only really going to explain once, and this is next week. He'll explain it, but only to a select few uh, followers uh, uh, of himself what the parable means. He's not going to make a, a habit of this. Just parable bomb and then bounce. So before, like I sat down with the text this week, and I'm like, before we go into five more weeks of this, I'd really like to gather an understanding of why Jesus teaches this way, what it means, what's important about it. Why does he just drop parable bombs and then bounce? Um, my mother dropped a parable bomb once. She drops all sorts of parable bombs. My mother's a preacher, even though no one gives her a pulpit. Uh, she preaches three-point messages to me every time we're on the phone. Um, and, and so one day we're, we're traveling. Uh, I, I don't remember what age, but we're probably eight to ten, somewhere in there. Uh, and, but I can remember the, remember the moment vividly. We're traveling, and we're going to, I don't know, the beach or something, hours away. And if you don't remember what it was like to travel back in the day, let me, let me tell you what it was like. It was boring, okay? Super boring. You didn't have anything to do, right? So you did this thing where you played the game from A to Z. You know, my name is Alicia, and I have an apple. I, was like, I, don't, even, I don't remember what the game was, right? Or, or you did the thing where you pointed out the letter on the sign from A to Z, uh, that was kind of one of my favorites. But my, my real favorite game was, uh, did you guys ever use the word padiddle? Maybe this was just, uh, yeah, a padiddle. Okay, so, so a padiddle was like when you saw a car with one headlight, that gave you access to just punch your friend in the arm. Right, so I don't know why this, it's the weirdest game, padiddle, and then you assaulted your friend's arm. That was the game. So these, these were the games that we played. And the reason we played these games is because we were bored out of our minds. Now, my kids have four iPads coming out of their headrest, right? They're playing Nintendo while they eat pizza, drink Yoo-Hoo, and snort pixie sticks all at the same time. And they're like, we love traveling. And we're like, yeah, we know, kid. It's great. Uh, so, so things have changed quite a bit. But, but this is how it was. And, and it all came down to the fact that you were bored. So what do you do when you're bored? You ask for food, right? Because you're hungry when you're bored. So we're on this trip. We're, we're just whining. Mom, give us some food. Mom, we need, we need food, right? This is what we're doing. And my mom turns around, and she says, you can have a granola bar. Now, granola bars are good now. Some, you got, like, Fruit Loop granola bars. Like, that's not really granola, but you got Fruit Loop bars, cereal bars. Granola bars have changed, too, right? You can also get, like, the 300-gram the protein bar that tastes like you're gnawing on a foot. All right, but 
but there are good ones, right? So kids have these good ones now. Back then, every granola bar tasted like you were chewing on tree bark, every single one. So naturally, we told my mom, no, I don't want a granola bar. I want like, you know, cheesy puffs or something, right? That's what we said to her. And here's what she dropped. She just dropped it, and it was just in front of everybody. She's like, if you won't eat granola bar, you're not hungry. This was, this was us, okay? In the back seat, we're like, what? We both cocked our head to the side like we were puppies who didn't understand the sound. Like, what does she mean by that? So for the next 60 miles, me and my, my sister are lost in this nebulous of, you're not hungry if you won't eat a granola bar, right? Now, about 60 miles in, I finally got it, and I finally understood that you're not really hungry, your stomach's not really ready or starving unless you will pretty much eat anything, right? That's, that's the place that I came to. But it took me a while. Now, I want to talk about this parable bomb that my, my mother dropped because you've all felt that, right? Like, the only reason you eat broccoli is because you're starving, right? You've all, you've, you've all felt that. I want to talk about how this parable affects us in a couple different ways from my, mother, my, my mother's perspective and, and therefore Jesus' perspective when he talks about parables. Uh, one, my mother's, De- Deborah Ann Thornton's parable, again, she's a preacher, uh, teaches us actually what it means to be hungry, right? Because you're not hungry unless your stomach is ready. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, he means your heart is not ready unless you can hear what God is saying. Really what he's saying is your heart is not soft, your ears are not open, your eyes cannot see unless you're hearing what the kingdom of God is saying to you in that moment. And if you can't hear it, if you can't see it, you're blind, deaf, and broke spiritually. That's what he means. Like, some of us feel like we, we, can, we can see what God is doing. But then we wonder why we go through seasons of like, I got nothing. And maybe we're okay with that. Maybe you're okay with where you're at. Maybe you're okay with your growth in Christ. We use this word in the church a lot. It's called sanctification. It means the process of becoming more like Jesus. Maybe you're okay with the place that you're at, which means you're not hungry. It means you're not hearing. It means you're not seeing. That's that's what Jesus says. He who has ears, let him hear. But more on that later. Second, Deborah Ann Thornton poses this parable because it's a mysterious sentence that leads us to deeper meaning. Right, that's, what, that's what she does. We're all sitting in the back going, what, what does this actually mean? It's a chase. It's a ten- this is what a parable is. It's a chase. It's a tension. I love the way uh, that the Greek word, I've, I've never seen, like, I, got, I throw Hebrew words and Greek words at you all the time if you're brand new, but this one is like one of my favorite interpretations. This is the original Greek word of parabole, okay? And it's a placing of one thing by the side of another, juxtaposition as of ships in battle. Crazy. That's, that's what a parable is, right? Lining two ideas up next to each other and your mind is fighting back and forth. Like, what does it mean? You're going on this deeper search for, for the meaning of truth and hopefully in the end, hopefully the ship that wins the battle is the Jesus ship. Hopefully the kingdom of God wins in your heart and mind and you know exactly what Jesus means and what the kingdom of God is saying to you in that moment. This is what a parable is. It's, it's a story. It's a proverb. It's a sentence that has a sense of mystery to it that leads you in a chase to find truth. Once again, let's throw the scripture back up there. He was teaching them many things in parables. God is very intentional. We've studied the scripture up till now. He does Anything he does with, is with intention. 
So we know that Jesus is teaching in parables almost exclusively because there's intention to it. He's thinking about you. He wants you to think through something. Um, Let me address something really critical today that I think Jesus is addressing in these parables. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? And is that leading you on a hungry chase for Jesus? Or are you good? I'm good. You've wrapped God up in this eternal thought. Like you've wrapped it up in your hands. You're like, I've gotten pretty much what I want out of this whole church thing. I'll go to church. I'll serve. I'll knock off the categories that I want to knock off. But really, I got from Jesus, from the scriptures, what I want. And there's not really any hunger inside of you anymore. I was with a buddy this week, and he called the people in this church the sacred lost. The sacred lost. Let me remind you of what we talked about a little while ago. Uh, a couple months ago, we, we, we talked about how proximity does not mean intimacy. Proximity does not mean intimacy. Meaning you, you can be in proximity to somebody and not be intimate with them. I, I've, I've been around 50 to 60 couples who come with the same problem. We're in proximity to each other all the time, but there's no intimacy. My wife, my wife and I have went through a couple seasons like this where, there, where there's a couple weeks or there's a month at a time where we don't feel the intimacy. Now, we're in the same house. We, we, we've rubbed shoulders. We're by the same fridge, and we touch each other. <laughs> there, we're, proximity is there, but there's no intimacy. Like Some of you guys, you have that. The proximity is so good. You feel sacred. You feel like you've been around sacred things for for two dozen years. You've been in the church. You grew up in the church. You've heard all the worship songs. You served on every team. And and you're, you're sacred. You feel sacred. But you could be lost because you're satisfied. You're not hungry. You're not hearing what Jesus is saying in this season. You're not seeing what Jesus is telling you in this season. You know what I mean? You could be the sacred lost. So where are you? Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? Jesus is saying that some people, they have a disease. And the only thing worse than a disease is someone who has a disease and does not know they have a disease. Right? Because then it could kill you. The only thing worse than a disease is someone who has a disease and does not know they have a disease. So let's study this today. Let's go back to uh, Matthew 13. Again, this is a more robust sister passage with some more details. Uh, We're going to be in verse 10, and we're going to study this a little bit thicker, okay? Then the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets, important word, of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the Greek word mysteria. Uh, we We get the word mystery from it, but it doesn't mean the mystery in the way that you think it means the word mystery. This word means a truth kept secret until now. So Jesus is saying, This is not a mystery any longer because the secret has been revealed. What is the secret? Every church has every, it's the answer every time. What was the secret? Jesus. Every time. Theo been in church long enough. If you don't know the answer, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Dude is brilliant. Okay, this is how it goes. Jesus is the secret. Jesus is the mystery. He's like, I've been revealed. I'm right in front of you. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Let me just break this down real plain and simple terms, because that was kind of, that was kind of like a parable there. You're like, huh? Uh, this is what Jesus is saying. Some people want Jesus. Their heart is correct. Their heart is soft. They are hungry. If Jesus is offering a granola bar, they'll be like, nom, 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 nom. Give me the granola bar. They'll take anything that Jesus has to offer. They're ready. And some people are not. Some people are not hungry. They've closed their ears. They've closed their eyes. They're callous of heart. Jesus, God uses the word callous often in the scriptures. They have callous. Of, so for whatever it was, sin or, or, or lukewarmness, whatever it is, uh, too much religion, their heart is no longer ready for the gospel. And he says, to them, the rest will be taken away. Not because Jesus wants to take it away. Hear me. Not because Jesus wants to take it away, but because they have a disease and they don't know they have a disease. And so anything that they have is dying. You're like, that's mean. I've heard lots of people say, that's mean. That Jesus hides some things uh, and people don't get it. And so the rest get taken. That, that seems really mean to me. Well, Jesus is not hiding from us. It's kind of like uh, when I used to play uh, hide and seek with my kids, and, and I mean used to. I'd, I'd love to play it with them now, but there's only two hiding places in my apartment. It's behind the door or in the shower, and it just gets old pretty quickly. <laughs> so when we had about 2,000 square feet, and we weren't rich, we just lived in a different state. You can afford that. So when we had about 2,000 square feet, there was numerous places to hide, right? Now, I wouldn't hide from my kids. I'd hide for them. Because honestly, if I wanted to dominate them in hide and seek, I could. Your boy would be in a tree. I'd be up there for three hours like, got him, okay? If I wanted to win, if that was what the game was about, I would win because there were five, okay? I didn't hide from my kids. I hid for my kids. And if they couldn't find me in the first minute, I'd go, they'd be like, daddy. Daddy, <laughs> and then they would, and I would keep on doing it until they found me because it wasn't about it wasn't about me hiding from them. It wasn't about them not finding me. It was about them finding me, and in the process, them knowing relationship with me, in the process, knowing more about me and me knowing more about them. In the process, there was intimacy, there was chase, there was urgency, there was fun. There was relationship. You understand? Jesus is not hiding from us. He's hiding for us. And the Pharisees. If their heart was correct, they would, they would find him. Now, again, you may think that's kind of mean, or why doesn't Jesus just kind of, I don't know, write a three-page book that says everything about the gospel? Why doesn't he just say, I'm God, right there? Why doesn't he just say, I'm, I'm from the Father? Why doesn't he just say, this is the way to get to heaven? Well, he did, and they killed him for it. You understand? These folks had courtside seats to all of Jesus' love, his grace, his mercy, his feeding, his healing, his miracles. They had courtside seats. What he's saying is they were actually spiritually blind. They, they were so blind they couldn't see him. He's preaching. They can feel the sweat coming off of his shoulder. And they still don't know it's him. Doesn't that mean? Jesus is hiding for us. 
This is the way that he puts it. This is actually a prophecy in Jeremiah. This is what God says about himself. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you're hungry, folks, when you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. I'm hiding for you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations. He's talking to exiles. In all the places I have dri- where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He's hiding for us. He's hiding for us. Think about the makeup of the scriptures. Why is it 66 books? Why can you read this for the rest of your life and get something brand new out of it every single day? Because there's chase. There's chase in it. If he gave us a book that was five lines and we could wrap up the gospel in our mind in like three sentences, do you think we would study? Do you think we would chase? Do you think we would look for him? Do you think we would gain more? Do you think there would be romance and intimacy and urgency? No. Because what do we do when we get something? What do we do when we, when we have something? We throw it away. We're like, okay, I can control that. I'm done. When we, when we get really good at something, we're like, nailed it. And we move on from it. The moment that you can control God is the moment that you become God. He's hiding for us. We will never, never fully understand him. It's not because he doesn't want us to. It's because he's hiding for us. He's, he, he wants us to come look for him. He wants us to know him. He wants there to be that intimacy. or that, that He wants us in that intimacy. Can we just end today with some really practical ways to see if we're, if we're blind? I want to I kind of give us this chilling verse before we move on. Um, and, and we will end with like, it, it's, it's kind of a gauge, but it's also ways to chase after Jesus if, if you're not chasing after Jesus. Uh, but I want to remind us of this idea that proximity doesn't equal intimacy. You can be in the church for 40 years. 40 years. You could think you have great proximity. These people did. You, you can know the name of Jesus. This is what Jesus says to him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, sometimes in the church we love to breeze over stuff or we, we think that's, that, that God's saying hyperbole. This is God warning us. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's kind of big. You know, the, the gift of prophecy, foretelling and forthtelling, these people were going out there, they're in the streets, they're prophesying. And God is saying, you don't know me. Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Have you cast out a demon? I mean, that's that's some high-level stuff right there. I haven't yet. That's some crazy stuff. If it happens, I'm like, oh, wow. Cast it out a demon. It's kind of crazy. I go write a book somewhere and do mighty works in your name. Have we not done these things? We did mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. I was never intimate with you. You had a lot of proximity, but no intimacy. You workers of lawlessness. That's some scary stuff. So for me, I've always felt like it was my calling in the church to make sure that we never became the sacred lost. That we never felt so sacred that we never were hungry after Jesus. So let's throw some gauges out there to find out if you are seeing if you're hearing, 
And if not, I'm going to end with, okay, let's, let's, how, let's see how we get after it together. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a symptom. Look, and I know I'm going to end them all with itis. I realize that symptoms don't end with itis. Diseases do. But it was too cute to pass up. And you know it. Don't judge me. Or you'll end up on my prayer list. All right, here's the first one. Go to everyone outside us. Some of you got go to everyone outside us. You know what that is? When you got a problem, when there's tension, when you need a word, when you need an encouragement, you go to everyone else, right? Your mom, your sister, your brother, your uncle. You go to the bank teller. You're at the bank. They're like, do you want to withdraw? You're like, Cindy, I need to talk. She's like, wow, I don't have time for this. This is called go to everyone outside us. Is that you? Do you know why you go to everyone else? Because you don't trust Jesus. You're not in relationship with Jesus. You don't go to his throne quickly and go, I need you. I want to hear from you. Speak to me. Even if it's through other people. This is fine. I'm not, at no point during this conversation am I saying don't go to other people, other followers of Jesus. Don't get discipled. Don't find wisdom somewhere else. I'm saying don't go to everyone else first. Often people will come to me and I'll go, did you go to Jesus first? Did you go to Jesus first? Do you know in my 10 years of marriage, I've never had to go to anyone else. Hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you're struggling in marriage, don't go to counseling. I'm saying I go to Jesus first. Some of you are like, you struggle in marriage? Yes. Have you been in marriage? It's hard, right? But I've never had to go to anyone else and go, man, my wife is doing this, my, this is that. Now, sometimes I go to other, uh, other brothers in Christ and I go, yo, I'm struggling here. Uh, I need to repent. Some, sometimes there's that. But what I'm saying is I don't need to go to my mom's. <laughs> I don't need to go to anybody else before I go to Jesus. Because most of the time, Holy Spirit is going to tell me exactly what to do, exactly what to repent of, and usually repentance is what needs to happen and my marriage starts to get healed. Stop going to everybody else. Go to Jesus. Because if you go to everybody else, it's a sign that you are not hearing, that you are not listening, you are not seeing what Jesus is saying, and you won't pause long enough to find out at the Father's feet what he's saying. Okay? Let's go to everyone else, itis. Next one. One meal a week, itis. Some of y'all ain't hungry. Here's how you know. This is a good enough meal for you for an entire week. It's called one meal a week, itis. Listen to the great theologian, Deborah Ann Thornton. I want to make her listen to this message. You called me a great theologian? Listen to her. If you don't want a granola bar, you ain't hungry. Meaning, if, if you're not chasing with, with hunger after God every single day of the week, if this is enough for you, look, I can give you a celery stick. Right? This is, it's, it's okay. Even on my best day, I'll give you a full salad. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, wants to offer you something every day of the week. He wants to fill you. He wants you to chase him. He wants to teach you through scriptures, through prayer, through journaling, through each other, through your job, through circumstances, through the trees, through the sun, through the moon, through the stars, through quietness, through loudness. He wants to teach you every single day. And if one meal a week is good enough, you know you ain't hungry. You're good. You've reached the part in your relationship with God where you're like, I'm good. I got enough. Thank you. That's one meal a week-itis. And you don't want that. Last one. Mow everyone else's lawn-itis. I used to live in the Burbs. And when I, when I first moved to this house, 
I saw that everybody's lawn was amazing. So you know what I said to myself? Oh, dang. Because my lawn was connected to the dude who was retired, who was out there every single day, just putting lines in his thing. I'm like, come on. You know, because I don't want to spend my hours on this. But I seen him out there. Every single time I had one weed, he out there like, mm-hmm. Look at him. Yeah, I mean, I'm working full time. Like, mm-hmm. And sometimes that's us, isn't it? We stand on our own lawn. Sometimes our lawn is full of weeds. Just looking at everybody else's lawn. Judging everybody else's lawn. That's how you know you're blind. Because I got plenty to focus on right here. I got enough for seven decades right now. I don't have time to be judging everybody else because I got enough right on my own lawn. I got a weed, I got a trim, I got a spray, I got to do all of it. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you find yourself constantly looking at everybody else like they need to mow that lawn. That's how you know you're blind. And maybe you're like, okay, so what's the answer? Worship team, come up here. Maybe you're like, what's the answer? Now, sometimes in Christianity, we think there's some sort of complicated 12-step program to get where we want to get, when really the answer is always the gospel. Here we say that everything flows downstream from the gospel. And the answer is repentance of your pride. The answer is repentance of your religion. The answer is hunger and humility. And the only way you're going to get hungry is if you ask for it. What if we ask Jesus, just, just make us hungry? Just make us, just empty our stomachs again. Forgive me that I feel like I've arrived as a, as a follower of Jesus. Forgive me that I feel like I've nailed the 10 things that you want me to, to nail. I feel like I, I, I did all those things and so now I'm good. Forgive me. And God, would you make me hungry again? Why don't you pray with me? forgive me of my pride sometimes I think because I'm a pastor and I went to school that I got it all together sometimes I think that my effort makes me whole sometimes I think that I'm the best husband on the planet sometimes I think that man I'm, I'm following you and I'm doing it well and I deserve this and this and I just start using that word deserve. That's when I know in my heart I'm wrong. Because I deserve death but you give me grace. So forgive me of my pride. I pray that my confession would leak. That the people in the room who feel that same way, they would repent too. We would repent together as a family and our walls would come crashing down. And every Sunday we would show up here and every Monday we would show up there at your feet and go, Jesus, we need you. Heal us. Love us. Take us deeper. Church, there's something so deep for you. You understand? Jesus has something so deep for you. Jesus has something so deep for you. If you're not feeling the depth, there's more. We want more. And in there, praise things. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's worship like we want more. Let's worship like we're hungry.